Good morning. We're glad you could join us today. We are forging on as best we can. We thank you for joining us, and we're glad that you're sharing us with other people. We've got lots of people now who've been getting in touch with us and reaching out and following us either on Facebook or on our website or whatever platform that may appear. Uh, we're glad that you could be with us today. And so I wanted to share with you as we begin this next uh, three weeks as we move towards Easter weekend and the story of Jesus on the cross. This morning I wanted to begin this talking about the scandal of the cross. If you have your Bible with you and you could find it quickly, uh, grab it and bring it. You may want to see and follow along with this in your own Bible. But I wanted to share with you from 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Do you have that there? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's the book right after the book of Romans. We have the, the Gospels, then the book of Acts, and then Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, written by Paul. So I found this to be fascinating on what Paul was saying about the cross and how Christians reacted to the cross. You'll see in just a moment how that all came together, but Reading beginning with the verse 22, if you'd skip down to verse 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says there, the Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. Two group, the groups there, but then he goes on verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, of course, thought they were very wise, particularly the Greeks thought that they were very wise. But here is a contrast between the Jews and the Gentiles and the Christian believers. They said, we preach Christ crucified, which that is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Christians. It is clear to me, and it is clear that the New Testament saw the crucifixion of Christ as a scandal. Now, it's important for us you to follow this because how is it a scandal? We would say, well, so, so what? How does that? We would say, yeah, that's a scandal. Well, I had a book recommended to me by a fellow friend who was sharing with me the book The Day the Revolution Began by N.T. Wright, who was a theologian and a scholar, New Testament scholar, in, over in the British Isles. And he was sharing with us, sharing in that book about the uniqueness of the cross of Christ. And the crucifixion, the crucifixion was well known to people in Jesus' day. They knew about it. They had seen it. They had heard about it. They had seen all about it. And they knew that the crucifixion, the process of crucifying someone, was the lowest form of capital punishment. It was at the very bottom. They had other types of capital punishment, but to be, but to be uh, crucified had particular humility and uh, um, power that the, that the Romans used over it. It was reserved excuse me, for slaves and for rebels. Well, if you have uh, ever seen the movie Spartacus, Spartacus with Kirk Douglas, it talks about how Spartacus was leading a rebellion against uh, the emperor and how he was working and got all these thousands to come in to help him, but he was eventually defeated, was captured and defeated. Well, the real story is about Spartacus, that those men who had joined him were considered rebels. 
And they took and crucified them. They, they took and put up 14,000 crosses on an avenue, one about every 40 yards, up and down the avenue, where everybody would walk by and see how Rome dealt with those rebels. It was a horrible thing today, a horrible death to experience, and it was used as Rome would try to persecute and try to tamp down any rebellion. They were so cruel and so heartless about it and the terror that it would bring the crucifixion that the noble people, they wouldn't, they wouldn't consider it. They, would, they wouldn't even talk about what a crucifixion was. It was reserved for slaves and for rebels, the very lowest that they would uh, be able to take to the cross to have happen. About 10 or so years ago, Mel Gibson came out with the movie uh, the Passion of the Christ. Perhaps you saw that. My wife and I went and saw it as we were sitting there. And sitting next to me was a young lady as we were all just very sober, very spellbound, spellbound at what was happening. And there was Jesus who was being scourged. The uh, 39 lashes that he was to receive. And as that was happening, as they were doing that, remember this is to slaves and rebels. You can see how they were viewing Christ, how the Jews and how the Romans were viewing Christ as they would scourge him. This woman that was sitting next to me was just sobbing. I felt sobbing in my heart. But this poor woman was just in agony over what she was witnessing that had happened to Jesus, even though it was a movie, even though she knew it was false, she was portrayed back into that era, into that particular time. You see, the early Christians, the early, excuse me, the early culture despisers of Christianity, those who didn't like Christianity at all, they mocked the very idea that the worshipers now, Christian worshipers, would worship somebody who had been crucified. How could you crucify do it? That we've humiliated. He's the bottom. Why would you worship someone who had been crucified? Yet the early believers saw the cross of Christ as something noble. What, a, what an incredible contrast. We look at some of the writings of a man like Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr lived and died about 156 AD. This is approximately 50 years or 60 years after John uh, died on the island of Patmos. And he made this statement. He kind of led us in his writings to say, that the cross was the key to everything. The cross was the key to everything. You see, early Christians, they didn't shy away from the cross like everybody else at how horrible it was, but they embraced it. They lifted it up. They celebrated it. We find that interesting how that developed and how Christians would see the cross of Christ as far different are different than, than how the world around them was viewing the crucifixion. You see, the, John shares with us, the Apostle John shares with us in John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14. The Word, God, the Word, the message, the preciousness of the Word became flesh, important, became flesh. And, and uh, Paul went on to say the message of the cross is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. That's right there in 1 Corinthians 1, just a few verses up in verse 18. 
We could also say that it was the word of the cross. That would be perfectly permissible to say that. The word of the cross, the, the flesh of the cross, the message of the cross was the power of God. And so it is in the flesh and in the power that really matter. This is what separated crucifixions of the others and all the other rebels and all the other slaves who tried to escape. This is, this is what separated them from how the Christians viewed what the cross of Christ meant. Early Christians, early Christians and the Jews and the Gentiles could be divided basically into two groups then. We had on the Jews and Gentiles on one side had weakness and folly. They saw the cross as being weakness and folly. While on the other side, the early Christians, they saw the power and wisdom in the cross. So it was a different viewpoint of how they looked at it. Two different groups and how they looked. Now the cross and the scourging that would took place, the, not only was it the most humiliating thing to be publicly scourged like that, and have the hatred of the crowd pour out on you, as it was with Christ, but it also was a way of weakening the poor victim. And the victim would be weakened to such a state that there would be very little struggle when he was nailed to the cross and put up there. So his submission that we see that in Christ and what happened with him. Well, I might ask, okay, so we have two groups. We have one group that sees this cross as weakness and folly. And on the other side, we see a group, the early Christians, who saw it as power and witness. Well, we can say, well, and, 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 yeah, why is that, why is that such an important part? Why is that important to see that distinction of the cross? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul shares with us that this is of first importance. This is the most important thing. And he outlines several things which we will look at in the next couple of weeks. But the first thing he said, this is of the most importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died for us according to the scriptures. There was a death that Christ gave. Well, in early Judaism, and when God struck and uh, the deal with, <laughs> made the covenant with Israel, when they'd crossed over the Red Sea, had exited the the Egypt and had been rescued through the Red Sea from Pharaoh, he took them down to Mount Sinai where he organized them into a nation. There he spoke and gave commands to them and he let them know he gave certain things to them. But it is very interesting that when he gave the sacrifices to Israel, there were no human sacrifices. They used animals. No human sacrifices, which was in incredible contrast to the pagan world around in Palestine. Recently, I was in Petra with several others, and we were in Petra, and if you're familiar with the movie of Indiana Jones, you may remember some of these pictures there of Petra. This is all carved out of rock. This is called the treasury there in Petra. But up above, if we were to go up above that, Petra, if we were to go up above the treasury, up on top of that peak up there, where this is located in Petra, you would find that there is a rock formation there which was used for human sacrifices. So 
During the time the Jews were in Israel, we had human sacrifices taking place around them. The Canaanites were famous for that. They offered their children as human sacrifices. But within Israel, within Israel, God did not require them to have a human sacrifice. Which you may remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. Remember Abraham? He was wakened by a dream and the Lord speaking to him and take his son Isaac and take him to Mount Moriah, which is in Jerusalem now, up on where the temple is. So he said, take them up there and offer him as a sacrifice. And it was a terrible, terrible thing to have him do it. If you remember, when it actually came to time to slay Isaac, and you can imagine this father, the agony that he was going through to kill his son as a sacrifice to God, God sent an angel and stopped him from killing his son. He said, don't do that. I was, it was a test of faith to let you know about God. And he, he said, there's a ram caught in the thicket. The Lord would provide the sacrifice. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So what happened is that Christ became the human sacrifice for sin. Christ gave his life. He paid for sin. He paid for your sins and for mine. So there was the human sacrifice. There is where it was offered. Now often we talk with other Christians around and there's a, there's a common vision about the Christian hope. What is the Christian hope to have? Well, we would say, well, the Christian hope is that we would all go to heaven. We're all going to heaven. And so sin, in a sense, is blocking us from going to heaven. That's a very common view. And you ask people, well, why do you go to church or why do you accept Christ? Well, because I want to go to heaven. That's a very, and there's, there's a lot to that. But there's a difference with the biblical view about what that was about. In the biblical view, it's not talking about going to heaven so much as the Bible talks about that God will have a new heaven and a new earth. The earth is to be our home. In the Beatrice it said, you know, that the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. This is to be our home. This is the place. And God will recreate the world, the Bible tells us. He will recreate it without sin. And we will live in a new heaven and on a new earth. That's our, And what is blocking us? It's more than just sin that is blocking us from that goal. It's more than sin that's doing that. It's sin and idolatry. Now let me think that for a moment. Sin and idolatry. Well, we could ask, well, well, what do you mean by idolatry? I don't worship idols. I don't get down and bow. I don't even have idols in my home. I don't do things like that. So what do you mean? What is the Bible talking about? We're talking about uh, idolatry and having that power of idolatry. Where the, the idol of idolatry is power. The power of that idol, your power. The cross of Christ releases us from the grip of the idol of power. 
the power that we seek to, to have that, to, we want to have power. We want to have power. We want to control our own lives. We want to control We want to do things. We are very independent. And we want to have that power. We want to have power for ourselves. We want to have power over others. We are held in the grip of that power because it is sinful. Because it is selfish. And the cross of Christ does more than just give us a way of going to heaven. It releases, it, it takes away it victory over that power. Christ did more than just pay for our sins on the cross. He did far more than that. He gave us the opportunity to have a new heart. To have a new heart. Having a new heart, having a new attitude, being the new man, being a new creature, as the Bible talks about. That's, that's the power there. And the cross of Christ not only just forgives us the sins, but there's more to the power of Christ. We shall look at that in the weeks ahead. How, how the power of Christ on the cross, what that meant, and how it helps you in your world today. What does it mean to have a new heart? How did the cross bring to you a new heart? Well, you know of experiences, and I know of some of people who have been incarcerated. I had a man who came to me one time, and he had just been released from five years of jail. He, he had been in jail because he had the habit of writing and forging checks. Now, people didn't like that, to have their checks forged and for him spending their money and after a while, he got sentenced to jail. And uh, he was a rough character. He was an unkind character. And he, he got into jail. And um, he was there, and he had a five-year sentence that he had to fulfill. Well, while he was in there, he, he met Christ as his Savior. And that meeting of Christ, that, that true encounter, changed his heart. He became a gentle, kind, caring individual for others. Well, he had the opportunity to work with the uh, chaplain of the prison. And so he got involved in prison ministry right in the prison, helping the chaplain take the gospel of Christ to others and help change and bring lives into Christ. The power of the cross, of what the cross had done for him to give him a new heart was amazing. And so when he got out, he was going to be paroled earlier, two years earlier, and he said, no, told the parole board, no, I'm here, I want to fulfill my obligation, I want to do my five years. And so I said, all right, if you want to stay, you can stay. So he stayed his full five years, finally he got out, got out, and he showed up at my church. And when he came in, I was a little hesitant, oh, oh no, I, I know people can con. Um, that's like convicts, you see, they, they, they can con you. And so he, I was suspicious about him. So when, when he came, uh, he had his Bible with him. And as we were looking and chatting together and he was opening his Bible, I could see that his Bible was heavily marked and well used. And, and uh, then, then I asked him to pray. And so at the end of our chatting session together, he he bowed his head and prayed a beautiful prayer, a prayer that 
told me this man knows Jesus. It wasn't an implied prayer. It wasn't a repetitious prayer. He was very comfortable in knowing Jesus. So I asked him, what is it like when you came to Christ and you were in prison? And he shared this thought with me. He said, it was the first time in my life that I felt fully free. Even though I was in jail, I was free. Christ freed me from my evil heart. He freed me from my sins. He freed me from, from my behavior that was so, so reckless and so, so selfish and, so, and taught me to care for others. And it's the first time he said, even though I was in jail, I felt incredibly free. That's what the cross of Christ does. Not only forgive us of our sins, but bring to us a change of heart. Dear Lord, I thank you for this incredible passage. I thank you that you have called us to see the cross in a different way, not, not just as an emblem of death, and not just as an emblem of somebody who's paid to, to give you forgiven of your sins, but someone who is calling you, as Christ called us, for a new heart that all of us, all of us may experience being free at last. I pray that everyone is listening, everyone is participating. May truly, Lord, be free and be free at last. I thank you, God, for making that possible through the cross. Even the scandal of the cross speaks to our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, we'll see you next week. God bless.
wings of an angel and walk with the Lord day by day. Be filled with God's grace as you leave this place. May He guide you and keep you, I pray. May He guide you and keep you.